Thank you, choir. That raised me up. I hope it raised you up as well. <clears throat> About 40 years ago, just before I met him and he became one of my professors at the seminary, Dr. Guy Greenfield wrote a book entitled, We Need Each Other, Reaching Deeper Levels in Our Interpersonal Relationships. And it's a book about, you guessed it, reaching deeper levels in our interpersonal relationships. And wouldn't you know, that book just happened to be one of the required textbooks for the class he was teaching. Isn't it funny how that always seems to work out? It's a pretty good book. Uh, you can still get it on Amazon all these years later. But what has stuck in my mind about that book is the title. Because it's true. We really do need each other. You've heard that old line, no man is an island. And that's absolutely the truth. God created us as social creatures. We have an interdependence on one another that compels us to interact with one another. And there's an interesting passage in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes that highlights our interdependence and the benefits we derive from working together rather than as isolated individuals. So I invite your attention with me this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And if you need a little help finding it in your Bible, if you open to the middle, you're probably going to be in Psalms. And if you'll just go forward past Proverbs, you'll be in Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. So if you're able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 9, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken." Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this brief little passage gives us several examples of how it is that we're better off together than apart and why we need one another. And verse 9 is the first. It tells us that we need one another in order to maximize our work. Two are better than one, it says, because they have a good return for their work. And that works in several different ways. Having a companion, for example, eases the load of our labor. Whenever you have a really unpleasant job to do, isn't it a little bit more tolerable when you have someone working alongside you? I myself have never really been a fan of yard work. It doesn't really excite me the way it does some people. I acknowledge that. I always seem to be able to find something else I'd rather be doing. And often our yard reflects that. <laughs> but if Paula and I are out there working together in the yard, it seems just that much more tolerable. 
and more enjoyable because a companion eases the load. Having a companion also increases production because of the exchange of ideas between the two. You've heard it said that two heads are better than one. What that means is, is that the combination of two thinking together is often more than the sum of the parts. As we work side by side, you may come up with an idea for doing things better than the way we've been doing them. I may never have thought of doing it that way. Working by myself, I probably would have continued to do it as I always had, but with a different perspective on the task, sometimes a more productive approach can be discovered. It's collaboration. It's uh, why, oh, some years ago, a lot of office spaces changed their arrangement and created uh, large space, group space together in order that there might be more and better collaboration among the group. So having a companion can increase production. Having a companion also challenges us to do our best. If things are as they should be, then we don't want to let our coworker down. We want to carry our share of the load. We don't want to disappoint those we work alongside. We want to do our share. And we wind up doing better together than we could have done alone. All of these things are true as we work together in the church as well. We ease one another's load. We benefit from one another's gifts as we approach a variety of challenges. And we strive to do our best in order not to let our brothers and sisters down. This work together is better than our work alone. And the only way that we can accomplish the mission that Christ has given us is together. We need each other to accomplish the task we've been given. In verse 10, we read, If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. We need each other in order to help the fallen. Now, everyone knows that it's easier to get up if someone reaches out a helping hand and lifts us to our feet. In the fall of the year, football season, I like to watch some football games on television. And if you pay attention, you will notice that when the running back gets knocked down or a blocker falls, others of his teammates will often come over and help him to his feet because they want to save his energy for the next play and the next. It's better for the team as they work together. And in rare occasions, you will see an opponent help someone up in a display of good sportsmanship, but by and large, they don't do that because they know the sooner their opponent gets tired out, the better their chances will be for winning the game. Everyone knows it's easier if there's someone to help us up. Sometimes a brother or sister may stumble and fall into sin. The Bible tells us what we ought to do in those circumstances as well. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. 
restore gently, with compassion, with grace. We have a responsibility to help our fellow believers who fall into sin. And you may have heard the saying that the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. And too often that has been the case. Someone trips up. We are often inclined to relegate them to the margins, to exclude them, even judge them. But we need to remember that a church is not just to be some showcase for saints, but also a hospital for sinners. We help one another who fall into sin because, as the Scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there are other ways to fall that have nothing to do with sin. Sometimes life itself can get pretty heavy. And it's a rare individual who never stumbles under that load. One of my favorite professors at the seminary, this is a different one than the one I was speaking of earlier. He uh, was a Greek professor, a New Testament professor. I had more than one of his Greek classes, a Ph.D. seminar with him. And he was one of the most finest Christian gentlemen you would ever want to meet. Always kind, always gracious. But he used to say, and I think I've probably shared this with you before, he would say, life is difficult at best. Life is difficult at best because we live in a fallen world. Even the heroes of the faith struggled in life just because we live in a fallen world. And that burden of life can get very heavy. This professor lost his wife to illness and he himself suffered health problems that required him to retire from teaching. Life sometimes knocks us down that way. But we can help one another through those difficult times. There's a verse in Galatians right after the verse I just read a moment ago. It says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6 verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. Help one another with the burden of life. And sometimes that can be done just simply by our presence. The Christian psychologist and writer Scott Peck said, Often the most loving thing we can do when a friend is in pain is to share the pain, to be there even when we have nothing to offer except our presence and even when being there is painful to ourselves. The ministry of presence does wonders in the lives of those who are hurting. And often the most critical times when we need each other is when we've fallen and need a helping hand to get back up. Dr. James Plites uh, was, during my seminary days, a pastor of a large Baptist Church in North Dallas, and he composed a little something describing a friend that I've modified a bit. I'd like to share it with you. It goes like this. When things don't come out right, he comes right in. When none of your dreams come true, she remains true. He never looks for your money except when you've lost it. She never gets in your way except to clear it for you. Nothing is more important to him than making you important. She's in your corner when you are cornered. 
He turns up when you get turned down. All she wants in return for her helping hand is your handshake. He never insists on seeing you except when nobody else wants to. The only way she sponges off you is to absorb some of your troubles. When you're taking bows, he bows out. You can do anything you want with her friendship except buy it or sell it. He makes you realize that having a real friend is like having an extra life. All she asks of your friendship is the privilege of deserving it. We need each other to help one another when we fall, when we're struggling, when we need assistance. In verse 11, we see another benefit of being together. Verse 11 says, Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? We need each other to keep out the cold, don't we? Now, what verse 11 is speaking about here is the phenomenon of shared body heat in the cold. And when I was a kid, I had to share a double bed with my brother. How many of you had to share a bed with a sibling when you were growing up? Quite a few of us. Uh, except, as my brother and I grew, the space got more confining, and there was always an imaginary line right down the middle of that bed. And we enforced that. Uh, woe be to the one who transgressed the imaginary line. So I never really reaped the benefit of the body heat thing until I got married. And then I figured out what a wonderful thing it is. It's great to, on a cold night, say, come back from a trip to the restroom and slide into bed where your spouse has kept it nice and warm for you, to slide over there beside her. It's one of life's simple pleasures. And uh, I have always relished in it. And it was wonderful and it was great for about 30, 35 years. <laughs> until one of us turned into a human blowtorch. <laughs> that imaginary line had to come back for a while. But thankfully, it's all getting better now. <laughs> Shared body heat. But there's a more significant and spiritual application that we can make to this text, you know. There is a relational coldness that infects the hearts of those who isolate themselves. There are those who are isolated to the point that they get inwardly focused. And we actually observed some of that sort of thing during the forced isolation of the pandemic. Kept apart. It, 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 it makes our hearts colder. There is that relational coldness that can develop from others when they isolate themselves. When we resist meaningful relationships, that kind of thing can happen. It's like taking a coal away from the campfire and setting it out by itself. It burns out more quickly. It's colder. Dr. Greenfield in his book talks about some of the consequences when we limit ourselves to relationships that are only superficial and never go any deeper. He says, 
I've observed that if a person never or rarely goes past the social interaction level of relationship with anyone, he will develop judgmental and critical attitudes and behavior. The person who tends to be critical of others, a fault finder and a negative sort of individual, is generally one who has not reached the deeper levels of relating. Now, I don't know if that has been proven scientifically by some study or not, but experience and observation tell me that it's true nonetheless. Those who isolate themselves get emotionally cold and distant. We need to develop meaningful relationships with each other if we're going to fend off the coldness that develops in the hearts of those in isolation. And by the way, one of the best ways you can do that, build that relational connection, is to get involved in some of the ministries of the congregation and serve alongside others here at Central Baptist Church. Serving together is a great way to get to know one another. Whenever we pack food boxes or backpacks for Guatemala or go on trips to Guatemala, if you get involved in that, you'll get to know those you work alongside better than if you just pass through on the weekend for a, a little spiritual pick-me-up. We need each other in order to keep out the cold. Verse 12, first part, tells us we need each other in order to resist attacks. It says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. In the book Healing and the Masculine Soul, Gordon Dalby says, Greek soldiers went into battle in pairs, so when the enemy attacked, they could draw together back to back, covering each other's blind side. I don't know if that's true or not, but it certainly makes sense, doesn't it? If they backed back to back, they could each see 180 degrees in front of them, and their partner could see what was behind them. It's true. You know the old adage, there is strength in numbers? There's something to be said here about that. I remember when I was a boy, maybe fourth grade, fifth grade, in Sunday school one Sunday, the Sunday school teacher had us boys to take a pencil. He passed one out, gave one to each of us, and he said, Now, on the count of three, I want you all to snap that pencil. And so he counted down, and on three, we snapped all of our pencils. He said, Now, that wasn't difficult, was it? No, it was fairly simple for young boys like us. Well, then he pulled out a bundle of pencils that he had fastened together with rubber bands. And he said, now here, pass this around. I want each of you to try to break it. And by doing so, he was illustrating that there was strength in the number of those pencils. And as it was passing down the line, he said, now notice what this is, is teaching you, that we're better together, we're stronger together. And all of a sudden, there was this great big snap. And uh, my friend down the road, Jed Cole, had a sheepish look on his face because he had snapped the whole bundle of pencils. And uh, we were all shocked, none more so than the teacher of the class. But he pivoted well. He said, uh, you see how much harder that was than just to break the one. We're stronger together. We can defend one another better together. 
And we need each other if we're going to defend ourselves and our church successfully from the attacks of the evil one. Don't let the evil one gain traction in your heart, in your life. If you find yourself becoming more and more disgruntled, more and more critical, uh, demeaning your brothers and sisters in Christ, complaining about the gathering that God has called us into, well, there's a very real possibility the devil has already got his claws in you. Don't let him use you to do his work. We need each other to defend one another. But then at the end of verse 12, there's something rather interesting. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We need each other for all of the things that we've mentioned in this message, but for our relationships to be everything God wants them to be, there is a third strand, if you will, that sort of strengthens the mix. I knew someone once whose fiancé had given him a card with a, a little three-stranded braid in the card, and the words of this verse listed alongside. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And the idea, of course, was that their relationship with God playing a central role, woven in between the two of them in that uh, third strand, if you will, that their relationship could endure any test the future might hold, as long as God was there with them. Now, perhaps that's taking some small liberty with the text, but perhaps not. You know, in all four of these verses so far, the number has been two. Two are better than one, it says in verse 9. If one falls, a friend can help him up, verse 10. Verse 11, if two lie down together, they keep warm. Verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And now there's three. Three. The point, I think, in any case is a good one. When the focus on God is present in a relationship, that relationship can endure far more than a relationship in which God is absent or God is minimized. And of course, as church members relating to one another, God must play the primary role. He is the reason we are here. He is the one who has called us into relationship with one another. He is the one who is teaching us through one another how to be more like His Son, Jesus Christ. That's even more reason to say we need each other, even those who are difficult, and challenging. The EGR folks, as one minister used to call it, extra grace required. There are folks among us who require a little extra grace to be able to, to relate to. But that's a good thing. That teaches us patience. It teaches us kindness. It teaches us how to relate to one another better. It teaches us to be like our Lord Jesus. God's teaching has to be the priority for us. And His Son Jesus taught us that we ought to love one another according to the example that Jesus set for us. A sacrificial love. A love of self-denial on the behalf of others. Now we haven't always done that very well. But if we're going to survive, much less thrive, we have to do it and do it together. When Jesus founded the church and said that the gates of hell would not prevail against it, 
He was telling us that we have to be together as His church in order to prevail. Together. I want to share one last quote with you about that before I end. And it comes from Charles Spurgeon, the greatest preacher of his generation in his day. And he said this, Communion is strength. Solitude is weakness. Alone, the free old beech tree yields to the blast and lines prone on the meadow. In the forest, supporting each other, the trees laugh at the hurricane. The sheep of Jesus, he says, flock together. The social element is the genius of Christianity. The social element is the genius of Christianity. It's why Christ called us together as His church. Because we need each other. We strengthen one another, we support one another, we help one another, we make one another better together. So whether we realize it or not, friends, we need each other. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for calling us together as your people in this place. We thank you for all of the benefits we derive from being together here, serving alongside one another, your kingdom. And God, we, we thank you for who you are. You have revealed yourself to us as one God in three persons. The Christian philosophers and thinkers tell us that that, that three-person reality was a necessity in order for there to be relationship in the Godhead and for a display of love and grace. Lord, I pray we might learn that and put it into practice in our experience with one another, that we might be more like you as you have revealed yourself to us through your Son. God, we do need each other much more desperately than we've ever realized. And I pray that this day we might be drawn together and committed to one another in unprecedented ways as we step forward into the future you have before us. Make it so, God, for your glory, for your pleasure, for your grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing an invitation hymn and have a time.